Hi, and welcome to the Trusted Executive Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. John Blakey, the founder of the Trusted Executive Foundation, which helps CEOs and leaders across all sectors around the globe create a new standard of leadership defined by trustworthiness. Now, John has been named a top 100 global thought leader by Trust Across America, and his work has featured in Forbes, BBC News, HuffPost, and the Sunday Times. So welcome to you, John. Thank you, David. Yeah, great to be here again and really looking forward to sharing uh, this morning and with, with whoever is uh, joining us on the on the podcast. Great to be here. Yes. And, and I'm, I'm just thinking, actually, with this one being choosing to coach today, you're on home territory being quite a renowned coach. So I'm really looking forward to this particular episode of the uh, podcast. Yes, yes. All the habits, all nine habits are close to my heart, but it would be fair to say that this one is, uh, <laughs> is just that little bit closer to my heart. Now, as those who listen to the first podcast will know, the idea of this podcast is to help you as listeners gain a practical understanding of the potential benefits of the trusted executive model for you through taking a deep dive with each of the nine leadership habits which underpin this model. Now, as you say in the book, John, you didn't just dream up these nine habits over a glass of red wine. (laughs) They are a product of six years of evidence-based research at Aston Business School for your doctorate involving over 500 board-level leaders. With a deep passion, you offer the business world an academically rigorous and relevant answer to the question, how do I do trust and why does it matter to my organisation? So, John, from your research and as an introduction for those listening, why should they care about trust? And in a nutshell, what did you discover in your research? Yeah, why should you care about trust? Uh, why trust? You know, why now? Well, trust is the glue of life, as, as Stephen Covey said. It's, it's always been referred to as the glue of life. But I think in the times that we're in now, we, we need that super glue of, of trust. So, you know, right as we speak, David, we're in the middle of lockdown, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You know, we're living in a world where there are some, quite frankly, crazy things going on. And there's a feeling that trust has slipped through our fingers. And, you know, I think all leaders in all institutions are called to stand for trust now. And a lot of leaders do want to stand for trust. But but how do they do it? As you said, how do I how do I do trust? And one of the findings of the research is that high trust cultures, the biggest factor in building a high trust culture is the behavior of the CEO or the senior leadership team. So your behavior matters. That role modeling, that leading by example is what cascades trust into a culture over a period of time. And these nine habits, if you can do these nine habits that little bit better, that little bit more, then you will be doing your bit to help us build the trust that we appear to have lost in a lot of the parts of our society. Mm, Thank you, John. Just as you were speaking there, it was just a kind of image came into my mind, almost as trust as being some sort of compass for us in these times. Because as you said, I hear a lot of people asking, almost questioning what what do I trust how can I trust what do I believe in what what's the trustworthiness seems to be like a compass an anchor whatever you look at it where actually people can return to and know well actually maybe this is something that I can trust in rather than being the answer I think for me trust says I'm coming from a place of authenticity with this yeah yeah and we we hear people talk about fake news about post-truth world you know, there is this sense of us being cut adrift from the truth. And um, trust is, is, is an anchor, I think, that can uh, root us again. And trustworthiness, I mean, it's just you use the trustworthiness word. Trustworthiness is being worthy of the trust of others. Because I can't control whether you or anybody else trusts me. But what I can look at is my trustworthiness and my the habits of that trustworthiness. I can actually focus on those. I can work on those. It's within my gift of control to, to do that. Um, so I think that gives you a sense of uh, being part of the solution rather than being just adrift amongst or, you know this, this, sort of, this sort of sea of, un- of uncertainty. It, it gives you something to focus on if you know that these, these habits, which are academically verified, you know, they will deliver your trustworthiness if you focus on them. Obviously, it takes effort, like all habits, it takes time. But at least it's within your gift to, to work on your own habits. Mm. And just one question before we go into the habit we're looking at today. What came to me is, 
what do you say to the executive who says, do you know what? I don't need to do this because I just trust my gut instinct. I know whether I can trust someone in a deal. I know where this organization is trustworthy. What would you say to him or her who's kind of saying, actually, for me, it's just gut instinct. I don't need this framework to talk about trust. Probably what I would say, I would use that Marshall Goldsmith phrase, you know, what got you here won't get you there. Um, you know, that, yes, we've all developed naturally certain trustworthiness behaviours in leadership to get where we are. We will have had to do that to a certain degree. But I think what we're challenged to do now in the world that we are in, with diversity, with globalisation, with social media, we're challenged to take those trust building skills to the next level. That's why I talk about the super glue. Uh, uh, you know, it's time for trust 2.0. Um, we, we, we may well have mastered trust 1.0, but I want to challenge leaders to say, is that enough? Um, or do you want to go the next leg of the journey? Because I think the, the modern stakeholders are, are expecting and uh, demanding that we go the next leg of the journey. Mm, thank you, John. I like that. And, and, and I'd have a sense that actually for that sort of leader who's curious uh, about this, you know, I think he's talking a book about Einstein and curiosity. They're probably curious to see, even if I have a good, in, good gut instinct, how does this model work? And also curious to go, actually, how can we, how can this be used to empower not just me, but my team and the organisation? So I think there's there's a curiosity and that's where the relevance and rigour of the research really uh, comes home for me. So today, John, we're going to do a deep dive with habit number two, which is choosing to coach, which sits under the pillar of ability. As I said in the previous one, I'm really drawn by how each habit starts with the word choosing. And we've touched a bit on that, I think, in our initial part of this conversation, because for me, this makes it very intentional and it's not a one off. I think people also said that. And as you say, a habit is an accumulation of choices, which I love. So for you, John, what is this habit choosing to coach? And what benefits does it provide for an organization? Yeah, choosing to coach. So this word coaching, when I first got involved in coaching back in 2002, it was a very new word in the business lexicon. Mm -hmm. But I think we've seen over the last 20 years, it's really moved into the mainstream of business life. We all hear about coaching and we all know people who coach. What, what, what is it? One of the answers to that question that I heard early on in my training as a coach was that coaching is 70% listening and 30% asking questions. And I still think that's a pretty precise definition of coaching. I would probably refine it a little bit to say 70% active listening and 30% asking powerful questions mm -hmm. because it's not just any old listening, listening and it's not just any old questions. So I think in terms of behaviours, those two things are, are, are the key behaviors of coaching, listening, asking questions. But behind those behaviors, I think, is the mindset of the coach. And I think the mindset of the coach is the belief in the potential of others, the belief that all of us can go further, can do more, uh, can find more, more capabilities in ourselves uh, than we ever knew existed. And I think that is the mindset of the coach and leader is the belief in the potential of others, which, which then allows them to empower those people to seek that greater performance, that greater capability, um, because they trust that it's there and it's just waiting to come out. And the listening and the asking questions is unlocking that latent potential. I love that. And, and also I'm, I'm reminded that in the book, you give a couple of examples, I think for yourself, where you said that part of this trusting in this choosing to coach is this in, in the empowering is, do I believe in you? So do you want to give your, and wait, one of your own examples around what that, that meant for you when someone was, was perhaps coaching you, but they, they chose to believe in you? Because when I read that, that was very powerful. Yeah, I, I mentioned in the book, there are a number of people in my career who, who have believed in me. And I remember the names of those people and I name them in the book actually because I want to honor them. That's part of the reason why I name them. But the point is I remember them because they took the risk of believing in me. And interestingly, we're talking about this habit of, of coaching. And one of the people who believed in me was Nicholas Brearley, who backed myself and Ian Day to publish a book called Challenging Coaching in 2012. When Ian and I were totally novice, unproven, 
writers. I mean, we didn't know we could write a book. I mean, we, we, we didn't sort of believe that we could write a book. But Nicholas Brearley, bless him, said, you know what, I think there could be something in this. And he gave us the empowerment, that belief that we could write. And out of that came Challenging Coaching. Uh, as the, you know, and without Challenging Coaching, there wouldn't have been the trusted executive. You know, so these moments of people believing in you, when they take that risk uh, to back you, I think it's a wonderful thing. And yeah, I think it makes us all think as coaching leaders with this habit, who do we believe in? Who are we willing to back? Who are we willing to take a risk on? Because maybe they're the next superstar if only someone would get behind them and put that, that leap of faith, if you like, in their, in their potential. Yes, absolutely. And also what's um, a question I have, I'm sure, for those listening is I love the aspect of actually, you know, choosing to empower, choosing to believe in someone, because, as you said, that's very powerful. But my sense is for those listening, you can do that from at least two perspectives. I'll, I'll choose the main two. One is from a coach perspective. One is from a mentoring perspective. So can you explain the difference to, to our listeners? Because quite often you might empower someone, it might come from a mentor, it might come from a coach. So what's the distinction, particularly in the organisation, please? Yeah, it's a question that comes up a lot. Mm. What's the difference between coaching and, and mentoring? And we're being very precise about this word as a habit today. The, di- the biggest difference for me, uh, David, is this shift from the mentor who knows the answer to all mm. things to the coach who knows no answers to anything. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's the shift from being wanting to show the world how clever you are to wanting to show the world how clever somebody else is. Oh, yeah. Yeah? yeah. And that's why we ask questions. That's why we listen. Because when you're in the presence of someone who is listening that powerfully, asking questions, they act as a midwife to your potential they invite it out into the world it's an it's an amazing thing and uh, say I, I, I you know I've, I've been coached and I am coached and it still makes me sort of draw breath at times the the power of the environment that can be created by that listening and by that asking mm. and I want to do I want to come back to the listening before I do just something actually when you when you were speaking something came to me you you use the analogy of actually in a red pill world so I guess the film the matrix telling people what to do is you know it's it's ineffective this in the old or I'm going to call it the older paradigm because that's more telling people what to do but as you were speaking I got a sense of and if I for this moment I just use perhaps older paradigm newer paradigm in the older paradigm, if it was telling, I get a sense that in, in that paradigm, it was more about the individual, I've got to be the best, and also this aspect of competitive and I've got to get an edge over someone and I have the answers to this if I'm a leader. I sense the, if I say the paradigm we're coming into is more about, it's not really about the individual, it's about the collective for me because it says as an individual, the leader says, I don't have all the answers, so I need the collective around me. And then the competitive for me then becomes more collaborative. And, and why I'm saying this, John, I just get a sense of in that kind of atmosphere, this aspect of then coaching becomes second nature for me because it says, actually, as you said, I want to empower this, this person with me because they can make a contribution to this organization and bring ideas and actions to the table, which I'm not able to do so. But as a collective, we can be so, more, so much more powerful. What's your thoughts, feelings around that? Yeah, I think I think uh, the, the new paradigm, you know, in in uh, in, my, in my book, challenging coaching, I talk a lot about systems thinking, and and that that we're we're part of a system, and that system is is collective, um, and and as you use one of the phrases you use there is the shift from me 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 to we we we, mm. um, and I think part of this um, new paradigm and uh, trust, trust is the the binding together of the collective. Uh, you know, it, it definitely um, invites us to look for that longer-term collective outcome and believe in the in the power of that, as opposed to that shorter-term individualistic outcome, where we might be able to win the short-term game for ourselves. But what are we what are we setting up in terms of the longer-term game and the outcome for for all of us? I mean, climate change would be a, a great example, wouldn't it? Of 
you know, why do I need to bother about climate change? I just want to maximize the here and now, you know, outcomes, whether that's profit or whatever it is that I'm, that I think is that here and now outcome. But in the process of doing that, I, I, I set up unintended consequences around the collective outcomes over the, the longer term. So part of coaching, I think, is raising awareness of that bigger picture, inviting people to recognize that we are all connected um, and that there are ripples that go out from every leader's uh, actions and behaviors. And uh, expanding our awareness of that through coaching uh, helps us take responsibility for that bigger picture environment that we are all um, part of. Oh, so much in there. I love that. And I love that. I think you said, you know, trust is the binding together of the collective. I think that is just so powerful and um, just got a real sense, actually, which I hadn't thought of before, that around this choosing to coach, you're also making a choice in part of the modern language around a choice, I'm going to say, for your language around what they call the triple bottom line. So it's not just the people, it's not just the profit, short term profit. Yes, profits in there, but it's more of a longer term view. It's people, and we talked. We talked about planets, so a triple bottom line. So, thank you for that insight. And one thing before we move on, because one thing that fascinates me in the book is, obviously, we've spoken. I think you raised his talk about it's asking powerful questions, listening, and saying seven percent of the time. It's also empowering. And do do you believe in that other? In the book, you speak about uh, on the listening. You speak about listening at three different levels. Could you briefly just share that? Because again, I, I found that really insightful. Yeah, the three levels of listening comes from a book called Coactive Coaching by Laura Whitworth and a fantastic coaching resource for anybody who's, who's listening. And the, the three levels, Laura talks in that book about sort of everyday listening, level one, which basically often is described that, you know, you're, you're basically um, full of your own stuff in your own head and, and you're sort of just listening in order to confirm or pursue your existing thoughts and line of argument and that's everyday listening it's something we all do you know we all do nobody's nobody's walking around uh, you know do, not doing not doing that most of the time but coaches when you shift to that level two active listening that's what this word active means is that you are parking that noise in your own head and you're clearing the space to focus all of your attention on the words the body language the tone of, of what the other person is saying. Um, so it's, it's like changing gear in a car. You know, I think it's, 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 it is a, it is a, a gear change moment. And then the third level, I think, which is another gear change mo- moment. I'm trying to remember what, um, uh, how I refer to it in the book. You might, you might be able to tell me. Um, it's, she, she calls it, um, let me just, let me just check that because I want to make sure I get it correct. She calls it global listening. Yeah. So she calls it global listening. And the way that I often think of that is it's like uh, being a radio antennae and, and you switch the radio antennae on such that you're, you're opening the field of your awareness and you start to, um, it's, it's for example, it's things like coincidences. Um, in, in global listening, everything has meaning. So if I was listening to you at level three, global listening, and the door opened behind you and somebody popped their head around the door and said something. If I was coaching you, I'd be thinking, there is meaning in what just happened. And my job as a coach is to really open my mind and my ears to hear the meaning that is being offered to me by everything that is going on in the system of David Wetton or or, or whoever I'd be working with as, as a coach. Everything has meaning. So at that level, you can see how sort of it becomes quite profound, that level of listening. And it's very, very hard work. If you listen at level three for half an hour, you will be exhausted. (laughs) That's why we don't do it most of the time. But great coaches, uh, they will be able to turn that antennae on and get to that global listening, as as Laura uh, refers to it. And I also get a sense that that when when you're perhaps have a fluidity you know, among those three levels, then we both know, you know one of the real beautiful elements of coaching is teasing out perhaps inner wisdom of the coachee that 
we didn't know was there, they didn't know was there, but it kind of comes out, as you said, this field. And I think if you're aware at this third level, it can start to come in. And one yeah. thing that came to me is, I think it's Jung yes. that speaks of this in terms of synchronicity, didn't he? There's an example yeah. of, I think it was a Beatles or something that came yeah. to his window where someone was telling a story and he yeah. paid attention to that. And and I love yeah. that example. And there's a sense of it. It's that sort of thing. It's, it's as you said, it's it's almost being aware of your unexpected or listening. It's, it's something quite often, I think at a level it's difficult to put into words, but you have a sense of knowing or you perhaps even just trust that intuitive knowing to bring it in as it might be a very challenging question you're not sure why you've asked it and then yeah. suddenly it really touches the coaching yeah but on and, and just before you talked about young the word young came into my head um and uh, and you know so you see when when you create this type of dialogue and, and we, you know i think we're sort of coaching you know we're, we're in a we're, we're sort of in a coaching space aren't we i think because we're both coaches and so you know we we, we ought to be and so start to find that that things get pinged in each yeah. each person's mind and you know you you suddenly think of something they think of it a moment later and you realize that you know yes there's a connection there's a connection and and you know i love i love that sense of um the, the sort of mysteriousness of that which we don't need to fully understand at a scientific level but but if we believe if we trust that it's there it's it's a great thing mm, it is isn't it now i mentioned before didn't i that i gave there's more than one definition of the triple bottom line i know that in your book you talk about the triple bottom line of results relationships and, and reputation so for this next part i'm guessing that those listening hopefully are getting a real sense of what this habit choosing to coach is but they're probably curious individuals they're curious from a practical perspective asking yeah i hear what they're saying but what i really like to know is how have executives actually used this leadership habit to make a real difference in their organization now, the great thing is I've recorded a short interview with Fiona Furman, who's communications manager from NAHL Group. And they've chosen as an organization to embed the trusted ex executive model in their organization. So what we're going to do, and you've not heard this, John, so we're going to ask you to respond after I've played this. I've, I've re-recorded an interview with her, pre-recorded. And we're going to hear from Fiona on how they've used the habit choosing to coach. So once again, I'm with Fiona Furman, the communications manager with NAHL Group, a group of consumer legal businesses, including National Accident Helpline. And as an organisation, NAHL are using the trusted executive framework to empower the way they work and serve their customers. So Fiona, how have you used the second leadership habit, choosing to coach within NAHL to make a real difference in your organisation? So NHL uh, Group PLC, we have a um, leadership program called Pathway to Leadership. And what we do with that is that we identify 12 to 16 members of our team uh, each year who we think have got real leadership potential. And then they embark on a 12-month um, process of development, which is fantastic. And part of that development, alongside all of the formal um, learning that they do, is they have the opportunity to be um, mentored and coached by one of our senior leaders, the most senior people in our in our business and that's an incredible opportunity for them just to um, learn and to learn from the experience of those leaders that have gone before them but as well as that it's a real um, opportunity to access um, the leadership in a way that, that we probably wouldn't necessarily get a chance to do all the time but um, to just bring the ideas and the things that they're challenged by at the moment to that that leader and say what would you do what's your advice um, and also for that leader to challenge back together they can then unpick um, issues and situations that will help them in their in their leadership journey for the future. Oh, I really love that and I get a sense actually you know when John speaks about asking great questions listening deepening deeply and empowering others by believing in them what a great way to actually bring that and I guess the leaders can do all of that and have it mirrored back to them as well absolutely I've just I'm graduated from the program myself this year and um, having that ability to just talk things through and to talk um, freely and openly and have that um, kind of safe space if you like um, to allow yourself in some ways to be coached has been absolutely vital uh, for me in my in my growth and development and I imagine it's the kind of thing that I will be leaning on and drawing on probably for the rest of my career I would think. Mm, and that's just a wonderful kind of you know my, my final question was you know which what's your personal insight or personal growth moment it sounds like you've just described that by being involved and having the trusted executive framework within this process it feels like a sort of seamless part of support 
it really seems to have you know empowered you and given you some some great growth moments it absolutely has and one of the things um for me on a, on a very personal level that has been so interesting for me in, in this process is that i'm somebody who is very high responsibility so i tend to think that i should have all the answers and i should have the plan and i should be able to deliver it and know everything and um, deliver everything to this kind of you know probably unattainably high standard and what being coached and mentored um, has helped me to understand is that actually it's okay to not have the answers sometimes and it's okay to reach out to people who might be able to help you find the answers so that you can um, so that you can unearth them yourself it's not a matter of that expectation is something I put to you on myself it's not coming from outside that expectation to always know everything and so sometimes taking a step back and having a conversation with somebody who has perhaps been there before um, as a way of unpicking what a potential answer might be but it might not be the end answer um, has been absolutely invaluable for me. Oh, I really get that and what a great way to use use the model and uh, mm. what a fabulous insight that you can take with you you know throughout your uh, you know your working day so Thank you, Fiona. Thank you for your sharing. I really appreciate you being here. No problem. Thank you. So, John, that was Fiona speaking about how they've embedded choosing to coach in their organisation. So uh, the floor is yours, John. I'm interested to, to hear how you respond to what she said. Yeah, it's always great, isn't it, to hear people putting this into practice, um, like Fiona and, and all the leaders at NAHL Group have, have done over the past couple of years. And uh, I think yeah, Fiona referred specifically to, you know, how leaders can use this habit around leadership development, you know, that uh, leadership development programs can formalize the relation, the coaching relationship between a, a senior leader and a, and a member of one of those programs. Because I think often leaders want to do this, but they don't always have the time um, created to, to play this role. Uh, or make time to, to play this role. And they're, and they're not all, always turning up with that coaching hat on. And I think if you can create a program which has a specific coaching component and where the leaders involved in that, they know what their role is. You know, one is the coach, one is the coachee. And they both have responsibilities in that conversation to make it the best conversation that they can have. I think if you if you set it up that way, if you formalize it, if you give people some training, it makes it much easier for leaders to practice this habit rather than, you know, if I suddenly just bump into you in the corridor and I'm suddenly trying to think about, oh, you know, how do I practice coaching in the middle of this 15 minute conversation at the water cooler? That's, I think, in my experience, a much harder way to, to learn this habit. So leadership development programs like the one that Fiona talked about definitely help organizations introduce this habit and practice this habit. And of course, the more you practice it then, the more everybody can take that into their you know, daily working life. And, and over time, it, it does become a habit. You know, but sometimes you need to kickstart it in the way that these programs can, can help with. Thank you, John. <clears throat> um, and what, I, what I, I liked about, and she spoke, didn't she, about it's part, part of their Pathway to Leadership program, is speaking with her, I get this real sense that actually the trusted executive framework hasn't taken over the organization it's moved in so actually it's worked alongside the organization and what they're doing it's supported their practices and that just feels really important so it's 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 not I hope that makes sense it, 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 it's actually they've actually feels like to me they've owned it and sort of made it their own if that makes sense yeah and they were in a very good position starting point to do that David because trust has been one of their values one of their core values for a number of years and they've wanted to become the most trusted brand in their sector for a number of years so when they saw the nine habits of trust model they were already halfway down the path and and they just grabbed it and said great that's what we've been looking for and uh, it's helped them accelerate and and create a language an operational language around trust but the spirit of it all was already there. And so I think that's what's allowed them to embrace it and, and as you say, own it in such a, a seamless way. Yes, and as you said, you know, be intentional about it. It's not just a, as you'd say, you know, water cooler conversation, water cooler coaching. They're intentional about setting it up. And I love when Fiona spoke about having a safe space, because again, there's something intentional about that. There's something feels very life-giving. And the other thing was, I loved her insight of, she said, feeling pressured that she should know the answers. And, and that wasn't the case. And there was just a sense of actually through this choosing to coach, I really kind of sense that she had a letting go. 
it's a, it, you know, actually I don't need to know the answers, but there's someone here who's coaching me, who coming back to earlier conversations, choosing to believe in me. And there was something, John, about be, the leaders being intentional with their time. And I think we, we spoke about this, I spoke about this with Fiona, saying that to those in the program, knowing traditionally how busy leaders are, given they've committed this time to be with them, it almost set up this principle of actually, I believe in you because I'm choosing to spend time with you. Yes. Intentional time, time to encourage. And yes. that was, I felt that, that was wonderful. Yes. And of course they say about time, don't they, that giving people time is the most generous thing you can do because none of us can create more time. You know, whereas if you give people, you know, people say, oh, well, you could give them a salary rise. Well, we can create more money. We, you know, we can, we can, we can you know, it's not a finite thing, but, but time is a finite thing. And, and so giving time through, through coaching, yeah, I think it, it is received um, as a real generous thing. And, um, you know, you can imagine the impact on that, on people's, um, you know, motivation and, and morale, particularly in the times that we're in at the moment, you know, that if, you, if you're giving people that extra bit of time, and, and coaching them in that time. So, John, how does this habit choosing to coach, how does it work alongside the other habits in the model? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting. Uh, I was thinking about this before before our, our, our conversation because in one of the tools we have now in the model is this nine habits survey, which we can use to measure the collective strength of these different habits in an organisational culture. And we've used this now with, with thousands of different leaders, and therefore we've, we, we've created a benchmark of the habits. And what I can share with you is that the three weakest habits on average in organizational cultures, in the organizations that we've been working with, are this one, um, choosing to coach, choosing to be humble, and choosing to be open. And I think that these three habits are, are related because if you think about choosing to coach, if you think about the fact that that means as a coach, you're not the one with the answers, you're not the clever one, then that requires you to be, to be humble. And I think uh, the, the openness habit is, is linked to this coaching um, aspect because you can imagine in the sorts of space that we've talked about where you create, you do a lot of listening and you do a lot of asking um, of questions that you're inviting an openness from the other person that they share more of themselves with you and I think over time that again is is fostering a culture of, of openness because as, as Fiona said you then get to know that it's safe to share it's a psychologically safe environment in which to share things and wow what a relief you know I can be who I am I can I can bring myself fully to this place. So these three habits, coaching, being humble, being open, whilst coaching is in that pillar of ability and the other two are in the pillar of integrity, I do think that they work in tandem um, together and they can support each other um, you know, together. But interestingly, they are the three weakest typically. And that tells us a lot about where we are on the sort of journey from the command and control uh, authoritarian power-based structure to the to the trust-based um, culture. Thank you. Yes, and, and I do sense I sense those connections between those three areas, and it's almost like naturally, as you said, when you, when you're coming into this coaching space with a sense of humbleness, a sense of being open, it really almost if we're talking about empowering the coachee, it kind of feels like it empowers the space that that you're together in in that respect. And before we move on to the next one, just one question that's come to me, because we're speaking this, and obviously Fiona was speaking herself, for examples around one-to-one um, -one coaching. Mm. How just just how just choosing to coach, does it function? Because of course there is team coaching, isn't there? Mm. Does it yeah. function as well in there? Is that something you encourage in the trusted executive as well? Yeah, very much, uh, David, very much so. I mean, when we do our programs, for example, with organisations like uh, Fiona's, we, we will often assign individual coaches, but we will also often assign a team coach to, to the board mm -hmm. um, or to that leadership forum. And for example, that person would attend a board meeting and listen and observe. And then at the end of that um, discussion could play back to the group 
what they have um, observed in terms of um, habits that have been strong in that meeting mm -hmm. and habits that have been weaker. So having somebody playing that role for the team, the team coach, we call it the, the nine habits guardian. It can be very powerful as a way of um, keeping a focus on this, um, getting honest feedback, you know, through, through thinking of coaching at, at, at a team level. We, we equally bring together um, leaders into what we call our trust executive fellowship boards, um, like-minded leaders who want to practice with this work from different organizations. And they, when they come together, will experience a team coaching cycle where one of them will present a challenge and the whole group will ask questions. The whole group will listen. And again, you know, I think individual coaching is very powerful, but if you can create that coaching space with a group, with all the wisdom that is in that room, wow, you know, you, you can really leverage um, that coaching space at, at a team level, you know, through these different approaches. So, yeah, definitely it's a team habit as well as a, an individual habit. Mm, thank you. And I, and I really do feel how you've just taken coaching for me to uh, – it's just expanded, you know, and, and more possibilities. And I get this having done, you know, coaching with teams myself. I, I do get the sense of how it's, you know, within the group context as well, it can also have a powerful impact. So thank you for, for sharing that. We've been talking about impact here. So for the listeners out there, how can they get further resources and get their hands on the experience of this habit of choosing to coach? You mentioned a book or whatever, but what, what do you recommend to our, our listeners? Yeah, well, clearly I recommend this book. <laughs> Your book. <laughs> so seriously, this this is a book about coaching, but it's called Challenging Coaching. So it's it's about the balance between support and challenge in coaching. Coaching is is partly about supporting others. It's also about challenging others, and that that's what that book focuses on. But if you want the Bible of coaching, I think um, I would I would refer to uh, you know Sir John Whitmore's book, Coaching for Performance. It was a great privilege that John. Whitmore wrote the foreword for our book, Challenging Coaching, because his book, Coaching for Performance, introduced me to coaching, you know, 20 odd years ago, um, really opened my eyes to the power of, of, of this habit. So that there, there are some great resources in terms of books, uh, Coaching for Performance, Challenging Coaching. We've mentioned Coactive Coaching already, um, yeah. which is, again, one of my go-to coaching books. Coaching is a skill. Um, and, you know, some of, some of the listeners may think, okay, um, I can learn from reading a book, but I want I want to I want to take this further. I want to actually practice this because it is something that um, is experiential. You know, re, re, being on the receiving end of coaching is, is is a great way to understand its value and learn the skills. And I think if I was going to recommend, uh, you know, a training uh, resource, the, the Academy of Executive Coaching is a, is a training school in the UK. It's an international school, but it's based in the UK. I've done a lot of my coach training there. I know a lot of other people who have been through their programs. And yeah, I you know, definitely recommend the Academy of Executive Coaching as a place to train. And I'm just looking at my list here to see if I've covered everything. Yeah. Um, that, 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 so I think it's, it's reading, it's, it's training, and you know, those are the key resources that I would, I would recommend. I mean, in the book, there's a list of... Uh, various references at the end of, of the chapter that would also be a, a reference point for for our, our listeners um but hopefully that's a you know a, a sort of couple of ideas of where to go next mm, thank you john thank you so actually we've, we've spoken quite widely about the habit choosing to coach i said it's some sense it's home ground for both of us so it's, it's a great conversation and we've looked at really how you've grounded this in research and we've heard how executives such as Fiona have used it and the impact it's had on them and their organization and something I, I, I love about the book Trusted Executive is you have a chapter cracks in the pillar what to do when things go wrong um, and as I said before this is really gritty grounded realism for me and I know you're a pragmatist John who walks his talk who honors failure but before we, we, we dive deeper, I just want to honour that you see this trustworthiness across the three pillars as multipliers across ability, by integrity, by benevolence. So actually, if you get a zero score on any of these uh, elements, it impacts across trust as a whole. And that goes, I guess, for each of the individual habits. So we've spoken about choosing to coach. 
So the question here is what can an organization do when choosing to coach goes wrong? Yes, and I'd like to sort of share a, a story to just br br bring this one to life a little bit because um, a lot of my inspiration around coaching and this habit comes from the world of, of elite sports. So I had the, mm. the good fortune earlier in my career to, to set up a company with a, an Olympic medalist rower who was also a coach to Team GB rowers. And so I saw how coaching in an Olympic environment took place. And that had a big impact on my own understanding of this habit and my and an inspiration really to practice it. And the, the one of the relationships that I that I saw um, coaching relationships that I saw, and in terms of you know something that went wrong, and, and how it was recovered from. So I over ten years um, witnessed very closely the coaching relationship between Bill Barry, my business partner, who was the um, Olympic medalist and, and coach, and his coachee, a guy called Alan Campbell who when I first met him was a 19-year-old novice uh, scholar, single scholar. And they went on this crazy journey where the goal was to win a medal in the Olympics. And Bill had the audacity to believe that Alan had the potential to achieve this goal. I mean, it was crazy stuff in terms of empowerment and belief. Anyway, they went on this journey and they started to sort of achieve certain milestones. And one of the milestones was to win a medal in the Olympics in Beijing in 2008. And by this stage, Alan had won the silver medal in the World Championship in 2007. So he was on track. It was all going to plan. Six weeks before Beijing Olympics, I got a call from Bill. And he said, oh, we've had a bit of a, a problem. And I said, oh, oh yeah. And he said, um, yeah, Alan has got an infection in his tooth. Uh, he's had the tooth removed, but the infection has gone into his knee. And he's on crutches. So I'm thinking that's eight years of work down the drain, eight years of coaching down the drain. And I said to him, I was absolutely devastated for, for them both. And I said, well, you know, you know, what, what, what are you going to do? And he said, we've got a plan B. And I said, a plan B? Um, how could there be a plan B? The doctors just told him he, he, he's not going to even get in the plane, let, let alone get in a boat uh, in, in six weeks' time. He said, oh, we've got a plan B. And the plan B is that, we've worked out that Alan is the rower that is going to improve the most between now and the start of the Olympic Games, which logically was sort of correct, but it was measured from a base point of that the guy was in, on crutches. Anyway, uh, to cut a long story short, Alan did get on that plane to Beijing. He did win his heat in the single skull. He did get to the semi-final. And I, in the, on the semi-final, was stood outside Euston Station listening with my earpods in, jumping up and down like a madman, because he qualified for the final oh. of the single skull in Beijing, in which he came six out of eight. He didn't get a medal, but I tell you, David, it was the most incredible coaching performance I'd ever seen. So the link, and of course, he then, four years later, he got his medal. He got his bronze medal in 2012. Now, the link to the habits in terms of what to do when things go wrong is the link to the habit of evangelizing, mm -hmm. habit number seven. So what did they do at that moment? They, they renewed their faith in the vision. They didn't give up. They had that resilience to keep going and that sort of perseverance. So I would say that that's the antidote. When things go wrong, you know, you believe in someone you think they can win that medal. It doesn't quite happen. You know, there's a failure. They mess up. Well, that's a time to renew your, your faith and your hope. And that's what evangelizing does. That's what the great evangelists do. So that, to me, is the link between coaching as a habit of, uh, of delivery and evangelizing as a habit of benevolence. Mm. And, and, that, and I think that's what I witnessed. Amazing, amazing uh, evangelizing from the two of them uh, to get through that journey after after such a devastating setback. Absolutely. I can still see you jumping up and down in the station there because what an emotional, wonderful moment. And, you know, probably like yourself, I love the Olympic Games for, for really for those stories that are sat behind it. You know, I've read the book, Catherine Granger's book and what she's done and the time it took to her to get to a gold medal. There's something profound about 
journey like that. And as you said, what I really honour, you said you know, that one he got to final, he was six. He didn't get a medal, he didn't win. But actually the fact that he got there, given the story, was perhaps even more incredible. Yeah, so, absolutely. It's, yeah. You know, it's a wonderful you know, testament to that. Uh, gosh, thank you for that, that story. Now, John, we, I know, we always mentioned before, you spent a long time with this research and developing your model. My sense is, you know, through your life, you've built up to, uh, to, to investigating and exploring this trusted executive model. And I know how passionate you are about trust and, and we, we can sense that choosing to coach is something that, uh, that really, you know, is, is, is an essence of you. It's part of you. So this is the part of the podcast where we choose to choose, choose to dive a bit deeper. So the question I want to ask is, is, is why does this habit, choosing to coach, matter to you, John? You said that, um, you know, there's kind of two levels for you. So I'm inviting you to be vulnerable and explore and go a bit deeper as to why, why you believe choosing to coach is so important. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, David. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to about to practice habit number five, which is choosing to be open, sharing a bit of vulnerability scary stuff but yeah how did i come to be passionate about coaching well the story behind that is that when i was in my early 30s uh, and i was a very tell 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 uh, driven manager who thought who didn't even know that coaching existed and if i had done i would have thought it was a complete waste of time i was sent on a course called advanced change management and uh, I sat in a hotel in the New Forest with two other participants in this course with a lady who I didn't realize at the time, but she was a coach. She asked lots of questions. She listened very powerfully. She believed in our potential. And we went there on the Monday morning with a problem from our workplace. We all had to turn up with a problem from our workplace. And she said, right, we're going to sit in this hotel room for five days and talk about the this problem and I looked at my watch and thought blimey you know it's not that complicated we'll be done by two o'clock surely uh, and I tell you what uh, David after three days Wednesday afternoon after two and a half days of intense listening asking questions coaching boy was I digging deeper mm. and I and I'd gone into the roots of this workplace problem. I'd gone through the roots of it. I'd gone into, into my own sort of character, my own behaviors. And I arrived at about three o'clock on the Wednesday afternoon. I arrived at a question about my identity. Who am I? So I'd gone from this, you know, superficial problem. And through coaching, I'd got to the root of a question, a very, very important question. Who am I? And in that moment, I had an answer to that question. You, John, are a child of God. And I'm sat there in the middle of this hotel in the New Forest on a business course about advanced change management. And I'm thinking, whoa, what on earth is going on? But I tell you, uh, that was the moment where I encountered my my faith, where I, where I stepped into, you know, a, a world that, that was very, very different for me, a huge, huge shock, but has been a great blessing, as you know, in my, in my life since then. So, you know, I came away from that course changed at a very profound level, and I wanted to know what that lady had done. I didn't understand what she'd done. I didn't understand what on earth had gone on, but I later realized that this was coaching, and this is this is what coaching can deliver. Um, not every time, but I have worked with business leaders, David, who have said to me, I've said to them at the beginning of a coaching session, what are your goals? And they've said to me, I need to improve revenue by 20%. I need to get the employee engagement score up to so-and-so, so-and-so. And I've got an issue with you know, my, my, my chair uh, that I need to resolve. And by the way, I've got one, one, one more goal that I'd like to add. And I've gone, well, what's that? I want to find God. And I'm going, oh, <laughs> seriously, I, I, you know, so I have to respect, you know, a, the depth of some of the questions that have, have occurred in my life, but also the depth of the question that, that occur in other people's lives, you know, and um, coaching is, is just such a privileged space in which to, 
um, explore these things. And of course, it all then has a ripple effect back to how the leader shows up. Who is the leader? Uh, it all flows back into how you show up, your presence as a leader, um, you know, and, and all the things that we've talked about in terms of trust and power and, and, and all of these other, you know, leadership dynamics. So, so that, is, that is why coaching is that important to me, this habit, because it changed my life in a very profound way. Oh, what a powerful story. I totally get that. I hear you, John. Totally get that. And for me, one of my definitions, I won't go into fully, you know, we speak about spirituality, speak about religion. For me, spirituality, everyone has spirituality and it's about meaning and purpose and that that brings you alive in, in your life. So there's a real sense there, isn't it, the how that coaching then really did tap into that meaning and purpose. You know, there's a, that's a deep question. Who am I? <laughs> from, from a question you thought was going to be finished by lunchtime. Suddenly <laughs> took you to a great death is quite amazing. And I guess at this point, I would say that looking at some of the great faith teachers through time, I've just realized two things. One, actually, they choose to be humble, that it's not about me. So there's two things I want to pull on before I ask you a question. One that's coming to my mind is, is, is the Buddha, when he described his teachings as being the raft to get you across to the other side. They weren't the answer. They were really something that, that helped you, but they were like a temporary thing and they weren't the answer because very much going to want you to find your own answer. This couldn't help you, but it, it was an empowering thing. So that's, that's the first thing, you know, that teach. And the second thing that's come into my mind, which I'll ask you more about was um, Jesus as a coach, because it's just come to me and I don't have precise numbers, but I have seen this before in the past that in the gospels, in the Bible, I know someone's looked at it and said, actually that Jesus has asked you know, well over a hundred um, questions, but has probably only given told a handful of answers mm. so in some ways he was really coming from this coaching perspective because he was asking empowering questions so yeah. at this point really i'm going to ask you how do you see um you know in your christian faith jesus as being as choosing to coach yeah i mean you you've highlighted um you know an aspect there already of the listening and the the asking questions you know the other part of obviously jesus's presence as a coach was parables you know he he wouldn't answer a direct question because he didn't want to get into a situation where he was positioning himself or sort of boxing himself in and so the way that he tried to explain himself was through the use of, of parables um which is a much uh, more um coach-like way to help people than to try to just ram the answer down their throat i mean jesus clearly knew a lot of stuff but he also respected where his audience was at and therefore he tried to communicate in language and in words and in stories that resonated with them that that showed empathy for them um, and fitted into their existing you know worldview and i think that's a hugely empathetic thing to do um which is again a great skill of of a coach and, and I mean, one of, one of the aspects of belief, believing in others and believing in the potential of others. I mean, Jesus believed in the blind man to such an extent that the blind man healed and saw. And the blind man had said to Jesus, thank you. And Jesus said, no, it wasn't me. It was your faith. It was your belief. You, you the blind man, got to the same point of belief in yourself as I already have in you. And therefore, your physical reality transformed to align with our shared belief. And people call these things miracles. You know, they call them miracles. So these miracles can come from an intensity of belief, an intensity of faith. You know, people said about Steve Jobs that, that he had a reality distortion field around him because he had such intense passion and faith about his vision and his view of how reality could be. And he said, if you, if you got too close to, to Steve Jobs, you started to believe things that you didn't believe before. And I see Jesus as the same sort of character. If you got close enough to Jesus, if you touched the hem, you were healed because you got caught up in this incredible belief system that he had. Um, so 
you know, that to me, wow, what, what, what coaching. And, and of course, the disciples who then, you know, chose to commit to that path um, became believers um, were not were not sort of, um, you know, th through their own then passion and commitment, uh, told the story. I mean, Jesus didn't even have to write a book. Um, you know, I've, I've, had to, I've had to write a book in order to get a message out there. He didn't even have to write a book because the message was so, so powerful to the people who experienced it. They, they just went and talked about it. Um, and then we had like two billion people on the planet um, sort of following that as a way, you know, alongside mm. other great mm. ways that other great spiritual leaders have uh, have also um, brought brought to us. So, so yeah, that's that's a little bit of me um, with Jesus the coach. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and I think, as you said, you know, we, when we, we know from from the uh, the gospels or, or the narrative around it that they also the incredible thing was, as, as you said, he chose quite often to believe in in his disciples who were not seen to be leading figures in their society. He wasn't choosing the the ones that you, that might people might see in that context as being wise. He was actually choosing the very inverted commas lowly, humble. And stuck with them and worked with them. There were times when probably he was tearing his hair out, which perhaps coaches may well do at these times. He chose about what, what to do when things go wrong. And of course, things did go wrong mm. on that. But as you said, he, he stuck with, with that vision, that sense of, of knowing and actually truly believing in someone, even when um, and encouraging them to do, you know, at times the impossible, you know, the, and inviting them, I think. Because I think we I think that's another word I like, John, actually. And I think perhaps that Jesus has it wasn't a tell it was an invite wasn't it what comes to my mind you know walking on the water when he invites peter to come out of the boat there was an element really of that for me of, of an invite but it, but it's believing in himself believing in jesus there was something about that isn't there that actually he could do something he thought was not possible and isn't that a beautiful thing around coaching yeah yeah and it was it was an invitational model there was no compulsion but there was a there was a very clear invitation um, as indeed there, there still is today, a very clear invitation. But I, I, I believe in inviting people on this journey. I don't believe in compelling them or pushing them or forcing them or demanding. Um, and and that, is the, that is a coaching approach, isn't it? I think coaches can issue invitations, um, but they're not uh, issue, issuing sort of uh, decrees in terms of thou shalt. And the reason we may revisit this one when we, when we, you know, when we get to the, to the humble habit, but there's something again that's just come to me that as a coach, to be able to let go and actually be comfortable with the fact that actually the coach, he may do something that might even outstrip you because one little known verse you're probably aware of in the Bible, when Jesus turns to disciples and said, you too, you can do greater things than I have done. Mm. Which for me is ultimate. It's like a coaching statement, isn't it? Of real faith in them. It is. It is indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, 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 John, you've also you've mentioned one book. We know that you've published a book, Coaching Poetry from a Spiritual Path, where it says, you know, whatever your own religious beliefs, these poems will challenge you to think deeply and inspire you to take the next step on your own spiritual path, your leadership path. So, I invite you at this point to to share from this book a piece which connects to you, to your heart around choosing to coach. Yeah, great. So the poem I'm going to share with our listeners today is called Birds on the Runway. And I wrote this poem, um, I, was, I can remember now that I was looking out of the window of an aeroplane and um, the aeroplane was just taxiing down the runway. And, and in front of us on the runway, I could see this huge flock of birds. And of course, suddenly they took off from the concrete as the plane revved up its engines. And um, for some reason that inspired me to write. Uh, so as I, as I, probably as I sat in that plane, I can't remember exactly, but probably as I sat in that plane, I, I probably just wrote. And, uh, and this is what I wrote, it's called Birds on the Runway. And the reason I'm sharing it for, on the habit of coaching is it's about potential and the things that get in the way of us fulfilling our potential. Birds on the runway, a thin veil, a cloudy sky, the flutter of settling wings, birds that stall our progress, like mice and lice and other little things. 
A strange mix of phobia and respect welds us to a past we loathe. And yet they wait for us, those smiling faces on the other side, forever waiting, forever smiling, forever hoping and keeping faith, sketching the good times to come. How could we let them down? How could we mothball our dusty engines? We scatterers of the birds, we clearers of the mist. When will we change our minds and honor our forgotten selves? When will we stop using our past learning as the light to guide us now? Wow, wonderful, wonderful. Again, John, just just so very rich and and you know, you obviously saw those birds and, and it had some sort of meaning on it. And maybe that is that actually, you know, choosing to coach how helps bring out this meaning. You know, it, it has a depth to it, doesn't it, John? That's what we're, we're saying here. You said, you know, it's a skill people can learn, but maybe at the essence of in this exploration, this podcast, it's saying actually it really does impact. I think, you know, if let's, let's stick with one-on-one -on -one coaching, it impacts, I believe, both individuals for the positive impact of, of, of the organisation. And almost that poem was at that third level listening or, or looking in your example, wasn't it, of yeah. what's here and what can this actually share? So. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. I shall, I've got a copy of the book myself, so I shall go back to that one. So thank you. Great. Oh, well, John, as we come towards the end of this, this podcast, for those that are listening that are thinking, actually, I've really enjoyed this. I've really got a sense of this choosing to coach habit. How can I go around exploring, discovering the nine habits of trust for myself? Is there a keynote, a workshop program or something, a newsletter, something I can sign up for? How can I work with the uh, the trusted executive roadmap yeah if it's if it's caught people's imagination the next port of call really is our, our website www.trustedexecutive.com on that website um, there's opportunity to sign up for our newsletter there's there's a youtube um playlist of, of videos that will go into each each habit there's various blogs so lots of resources there david i think that's that's the port the portal really to to get more information and to explore further there's the uh the book obviously on the website uh, you can download a free chapter the, the first chapter of the book so yeah we try to make it as easy as possible for people to just explore um take the next step and clearly then if it becomes something that people want to work with at a more personal or, or organizational level then we can help with that through the various what we call journey of trust offerings that we that we that we can provide that we've now sort of used to, to, to put this theory into practice you know and with people like Fiona over the last four years a lot of organizations have, have, have helped us put the theory into practice and we've been able to create ready-made sort of solutions if you like now that, that we can offer to other organizations if they want to put trust at the heart of uh, everything they do. Mm, wonderful thank you John plenty of places to follow up and, and what's just come to me as well that for someone listening to this podcast where they've been touched by some of that and it's given them a, some insights and they're excited about it what's what's an email they can they can connect with you john if they just want to, to drop an email to you and say john i've listened to this choosing to coach podcast i just want to share this insight that came through this podcast for me what's a relevant email they can use well there's an email that my email is john at johnblakey.co.uk so pretty pretty straightforward john at johnblakey.co.uk but also i would encourage anybody um on, on linkedin you know if people want to connect on linkedin if they want to reach out on linkedin then i you know posting a lot of material on linkedin uh, around this topic mm. um, so again that's a that's a, a great sort of connection point for people thank you john it was just a spark i just had this sense of people listening watching going oh actually just i'd love to to take this and just share it so i know the, the sort of you know person you are you'd love to hear those yeah so thank you john and thank you for stepping out into the business world with a real heart and a real passion for supporting businesses to be the very best they can be and i invite you to say a few closing words to those listening before we, we bring this podcast to a close yeah, I just want to um, uh, thank you for, for coming along. Thank you for giving your time. I talked about how generous it is as a coach to give time to people. So thank you for giving us your time. And I hope that you are leaving um, feeling encouraged uh, and inspired 
um, motivated uh, to explore uh, and in particular um, intrigued about uh, th these coaching skills, uh, listening, asking, empowering, and uh, thinking about how can you take those skills to the next level, recognizing that amongst these nine habits, this is, we know from our research, this is a habit that in many organizations is underutilized. So, you know, if we want to use that, that language of competitive advantage, then you can secure a competitive advantage by mastering this habit of, of coaching. And I hope that this podcast has just given you that motivation to see the, the potential of that and to take the next step on that, on that path. Thank you, John. I'll just let those listening that uh, for the next podcast, habit number three is choosing to be consistent. So until next time, may you all have a wonderful day.